Good day, good day, good day. What's up, guys? It's Aiden Jones. You're listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday. The fucking what's the date? Oi, why is there no date on my phone here? Oi, oi, I don't like that. How fuck? Tuesday, the fourteenth of December. How fucking hard do they want to make it just to see the date? I want to know what date it is. The date should be on the lock screen, surely. When you press the lock screen on your phone, you want the date to be there. And as much as it is, you know, my phone, my responsibility, I still, I, I, I feel like I don't want to take responsibility for the fact that the date isn't on the lock screen. Why isn't it there? I feel like it was before. Man, Google just did a fucking update. How are you guys, by the way? I hope you're all right. I'm just discovering that I'm maybe a little bit disgruntled. Um, Google just did an update where they changed all of their all their like icons on the phone. I can't do like a nice color scheme that I wanted. And you know, the clock's all big on the front. I don't fucking know, man. It's just shit's changing on my phone and I don't like it. I'm starting to actually feel, hold up. I I think I need a sip of tea. Oh, and that is absolutely fine. Google just changed a bunch of shit and I'm starting to feel with my phone for the first time since I got it in, when did I get my phone? Like March 2019? I'm starting to feel like I'm, you know, I'm getting to the end of, the the love affair is definitely winding down. I'm starting to feel a little bit more resistance from my phone when I try, like the phone should be a frictionless thing you shouldn't notice that you have a phone you should just have a phone and then you use it for stuff and there shouldn't be any kind of resistance from the phone wait what's happening here oh god i'm recording at my friend's house in sydney and uh he's very kindly you know got got me in like his office recording space and i'm using his fucking if it sounds different i'm using my mic but i'm recording through his like sick setup and uh, I'm recording on his laptop using Pro Tools and I just lost the little... I thought that the recording had fucked up, but it hadn't. I just... <laughs> as much as this is a better setup, I really... I feel like something's going to go wrong. <laughs> all right. I'm all over the place here. What am I talking about? I'm in Sydney. I just flew in a couple of hours ago. Um, out of Melbourne, man. Oh, actually, you know what... The last kind of 48 to 72 hours, let's say, what's this? It's Tuesday afternoon now, Monday, Sunday, Saturday, maybe even like the last four days since kind of Friday has, uh, I mean, best weekend of the year, I reckon. I'm calling it now. It's It was a fantastic weekend. Um, I... I'll, I can start with this. On Thursday afternoon, I ran into my ex-girlfriend on the street and it was, you know, a nice a nice kind of uh, chance encounter. But I had already, I'd had breakfast with a mate and so I'd ordered an Uber and then I saw her. She was on her lunch break and so we just chatted and we were like, hey, let's meet up and hang out. And she was like, yeah, man, let's do that. So Saturday morning, Saturday evening, we're having our party at, at home at the house, a fucking house party. And... Uh, 
I, I said to my ex, maybe let's catch up Monday night, but she was like, I'm feeling burnt out. And I was like, I'm feeling burnt out too. I was feeling really burnt out. Like, I mean, I've, I know I've been talking about that the last few weeks on the podcast, but last week it just felt like it was really coming to a head, man. And, and Wednesday I had my last day of work for the year at removals and, um, and then Thursday it was like, okay, I've got the day off, but like I organized to have like breakfast with a mate. And I just, I don't know why I did that to myself because as much as I wanted to catch up with my mate, it still felt like I'd just given myself another goddamn task and it was fun, but it was unnecessary. And it just seems to me like another, you know, just a thing that I had to do that was fun, but it wasn't freedom. I just, once again, I've just given myself another task. So um, I did that, ran to my girlfriend and I was frazzled. Um, when I saw her, I was a little bit, you know, like, oh, you know, I didn't expect to see her, kind of had been hoping to see her around and then I did, but I was still unexpected, caught me off guard and it was a little bit emotional, but, um, you know, she seemed all good and, and so I was like, let's catch up and then we couldn't do it on Monday night, so we did Saturday morning and that even felt like oh, I'm giving myself a lot to do here, you know, I've got the party and so I'm committing to doing something in the morning, so we got to get up early so I can't sleep in. But fuck it, I, I really want to see her before I leave. So we catch up Sunday morning, we go for coffee, and uh, it was just really, it was a great thing. Um, I think I've been carrying a lot of guilt. I actually, as it happens, had a therapist appointment for the first time in a few months booked in for Thursday evening, afternoon-ish. So um, just after I saw her, I, I got to go to my therapist and talk about it. And we talked about, I think, the way I'm, I've been carrying a lot of guilt about the way that the relationship ended and just the fact that I like think maybe I might have ended it prematurely or just acted kind of rashly, not come to her and made a decision with her together about ending the relationship, but rather just kind of made the decision myself and then came to her with that decision. And I don't know. I, I just, yeah, I think I acted kind of rashly. I'd still agree with that, but you know, that's the reality. That's what happened. But what I, what I was struggling with was not being able to, to forgive myself for that decision that I think, um, kind of hurt her. And, um, so I talked to her about that and she forgave me like I knew she would and she already had, but it was nice to have that conversation. And the main thing that I took away from it was as much as our relationship is over, I think I was scared that that meant that, you know, we couldn't have all of the like good ways that we were kind of friends outside of a romantic connection that we'd lost those as well. And seeing her kind of made me realize that we are still close. We understand each other. We care about each other. And um, I think that more than anything that she said or that I said to her helped me know that I didn't destroy everything. I didn't fuck it all up when I made the decision to end our relationship. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's what's happened. But the feeling that I got was when I left after a few hours of hanging out, I just felt like a weight had lifted, man. And I've been carrying this fucking shit. I've been carrying this around with me for months. And like every time someone asks me about the relationship or how I'm going or every time I, I tell someone that we broke up, I just, it was with this like heaviness, this like, yeah, yeah, we broke up, you know, I'm getting through it. 
and um, almost as soon as I left, it just I just had this lightness. I just felt like something kind of lifted away, and um, I feel so much better. And maybe it was because I gave myself the day on Friday as well. I just gave myself like no responsibilities on Friday. Friday evening, I had a bit of a Christmas party with the um, the like crew that are managing me that are producing my show next year. So that was cool to meet some of these people that I've just started working with that I'm going to be working with. And that didn't really feel like a, a, a work thing. That just felt more like a social thing. Met some cool people, had some really nice conversations and uh, and then to have that walk on Saturday and then Saturday afternoon, it's like, all right, now we've got the house party. The house party, the start of the house party was kind of stressful. Um, there were two groups of people. There was kind of my friends and then one of my housemates, like her group of friends that just didn't naturally, like there was probably too many people for it to be one group, but not enough people for it to just be like an intermingling, like the backyard wasn't full. It was just two groups, you know? I put the t- the start time for the party as way too early is what I did. Um, don't start a house party at three o'clock, Aiden. Why did I do that? Why did I put the start time for the event of the house party to be three o'clock? Just really ambitious, you know? I think I was going off. <laughs> I think I was going off like um, my my mate had a house party years ago. And it was the best party I've ever been to. And uh, they had bands in the backyard. And I can't remember where I, when I showed up. It must have been around seven, but it felt like things were already kind of kicking off. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe in my mind, like I just remember it being light when I rocked up. And maybe I was like, okay, well, it was light. So it must have been like fucking three. <laughs> I just put three. Who wants to have a fucking party at three? We were nowhere near ready at three. I remember at three o'clock just getting the first of the things in order. And uh, no one, not a single person showed up until about five. And I just, I mean, thank God no one showed up at three. Even having people show up at five. Some people by like seven-ish were like, you know, exhausted from just hanging out with people for that long. And they went home. I should have start, I should have put the start time of as five and then people would have shown up at seven and that would have been perfect because by seven, a few more people had started to show up and there were games and then by like eight, eight thirty, we did pass the parcel. Pass the parcel was an a fucking absolute crusher. If you're having a party, I think pass the parcel was the watershed moment for the party because we did a pass the parcel, but we put silly shit like we put like a nug of weed, we put some nangs, I put some of my merch as the last, like the center thing. Um, what else did we have? I bought um, some of the jokes, like each one was a joke and some of them hit and some of them didn't. The one that I was really excited about that we were all really excited about that didn't hit was I got this, <laughs> it was like a thing from a $2 shop. It was called Commodity. <laughs> it was just a weird long set of tweezers and uh, what I don't know what it was, but it looked kind of like a little tiny pizza roller. Like, that's obviously not what it was because that's not a real item, but it just was like a, you know, like a sticky, like a stick, a stick, like a, some sort of handle, plastic handle with like a small roller, like metal roller with like, I guess uh, it's like a serrated roller on the end, maybe like two centimeters in diameter. Have I explained that well enough? <laughs> I feel like... um 
do you guys do in school when you're in like primary school and your teacher would do like, uh, you know, 2D constructions with this? So she'd be like, draw a line 10 centimeters long. Then perpendicular to that line, draw another line exactly five centimeters long. Then bisecting that line to one of the other edges of the first line, draw another line. That line should measure exactly 7.3 centimeters. Like, I don't know if anyone else did that. Did anyone else do that? Do I just have a weird memory of my year seven teacher? The one who said that I was attractive? Isn't that wild? My year seven teacher, when I got a scholarship to high school, was like really excited because I was like a fucking teacher's pet. And she, I remember she gave me like a punch on the shoulder and she was like, Aiden, you've got everything you need to get whatever you want in this life. You've got the brains, you've got the looks, you've got the talent. And I just, even at 12 years old, remember thinking like, that's weird that you said looks there. <laughs> you think I'm hot? Mrs. Tease, if you think I'm hot, just say it. <laughs> it wasn't Mrs. Tease, it was Miss Tease. I don't know why that's important. Why is that important, Aiden? I don't know, but I remember. <sighs> anyway, what was I talking about? The party. Pass the parcel. Pass the parcel. It was great. Um... Yeah, so uh, we did all of these. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the the fucking commodity. So it was those two items in like a, you know, just like a bit of cardboard with plastic wrap over the top of it. And uh, I mean, where's that getting made? What factory deep in the fucking, in the, the outlands, for the outlying fucking like, you know, manufacturing wasteland of China is that getting made? And it's called commodity. Oh, what did someone call it? Uh, um, detritus of capitalism. My housemate's boyfriend called it the detritus of capitalism, which is just the maybe that's the title for this week's podcast. Yeah, help me. I'll let me fucking remember that. I where am I going to write that? I'll write that in a little note to myself on Facebook Messenger. Nadia Senoj. Let me uh, maybe I'll voice note it. Detritus of capitalism. Oh no, I don't want to voice note. I mean, I'll send that to myself, but no, I want to. Um, I want to like see if it types correctly. Detritus of capitalism. Hey, it worked. Yeah, man, that's the fucking title for this week's show. Detritus of capitalism. I just it's a perfect perfect. Detritus is a beautiful word, isn't it? Um. Yeah, that's what that thing was. Because I don't know what the fuck it is. And it's called commodity and you're just like, it is a commodity. What, what does the word commodity actually mean? Is it just an item that's for sale? Let's find out. Commodity. Commodity. The definition of commodity. A raw material or primary agricultural product that can be bought and sold, such as copper or coffee. That's not, that's not what it is. <laughs> A raw material. So they're, they're thinking like, okay, we've got these tweezers and a pizza roller. And um, maybe that's maybe that's where they messed up. Maybe they thought that tweezers and a pizza roller was like a raw material that people would be needing to make other stuff out of. As if tweezers and a mini pizza roller is like a component, like a, a really uh, versatile component in various large machinery. Um, so they were like, we'll make fucking two million of these. Maybe they just have a fundamental misunderstanding of, you know, what 
fucking <laughs> developed nations need heaps of. They're like, surely we'll be selling these at volume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our province's main exports are wheat, iron ore, and these little fucking things. <laughs> Oh, silly, silly people. They don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, fuck. So that was... A bit, the joke didn't land because like we thought it was really funny because we were sitting around kind of riffing about it and then but when it was in the actual thing, someone just got that and passed the pass on and they were like, what? what's this? And, and like the three or four people who were privy to the joke were like, it's a, it's a commodity. <laughs> it's called commodity. You know, my friend Rob Caruana, RIP... Um, not RIP, but he doesn't do comedy really anymore. He used to have this joke. His whole thing, he didn't like to write jokes, so he would just go to those shit $2 stores and buy stuff and then go on stage and just try and make sets out of like, you know, look at this thing. And one of the the greatest one that I always remember was he got um from like some shitty shop a plastic knife in like a plastic bag and uh, he'd pull it out, and he's like wearing a suit, and he'd go, look, look at this, this, it's a knife in an evidence bag, and he'd have his hand over the like the name of, name of the product, and then he'd go, and look what it's called, and then he'd reveal the name of it, and it was just called Weapon, <laughs> so he'd go, look what it's called, Weapon, <laughs> just the way he would say Weapon, and it is just a plastic knife, and the product is named Weapon. And I guess you're supposed to just buy that for your kid, maybe. Yeah, that's what commodity reminded me of. Uh, has the recording stopped? No. Good. Yeah, so, um, oh, man. So we did pass the parcel, and I was on the music, and I was doing, fuck, man, I had so much fun with the music. I was doing the Wiggles, did some Wiggles songs, did the Australian National Anthem, and... Um, Credit to Blake Freeman for uh, introducing me to that joke. Very funny. The Australian National Anthem always gets a laugh. Just cheesy as fuck. Every, why is it that every recording of the Australian National Anthem sounds like it was recorded on like a fucking laptop in like the back shed behind the school? Why is that? There's no real good recording of the Australian National Anthem, is there? Like America, they have their Star Spangled Banner and it's always like Celine Dion, or no, she's Canadian, fucking some person singing it at the halftime show at the Super Bowl and it's like high production values. And then Australia is just like, if it sounds like there's fucking tin foil wrapped around the mic. <laughs> some, some fucking 90-year-old man playing a bassoon. <laughs> Go on, Georgie, knock it out one last time for the boys back home. <laughs> What an awful fucking song. The you know colonialist implicate colonialist implications of the song. I felt like uh, the political leanings of the people that were at the party when we played um, when we played that game. I was try- I think I was just trying to push the envelope as far as I could. I was seeing if anyone would like get offended and be like, "Oh no, nah, we can't play that." Um, and I thought the Australian national anthem would do it. 
but it didn't do it. So though I did, uh, then I did uh, one Wiggles for safety, uh, back to the Wiggles because that killed. And then I went to uh, Timey Kangaroo Downsport by fucking Rolf Harris. <laughs> Okay, all right, you guys are all cool with colonialism. How about paedophilia? (laughs) How about we start our party off to that soundtrack? And still, you know, um, to their credit, the cancel culture police did not make themselves known. Oh, my God. You know what? Maybe I want to talk about this. Do I want to talk about this? Nah, I don't think I do, actually. You know what? I don't want to bring any bad vibes. I was about to tell a bad vibes story on the pod, but you know what? I think I want to leave it. Don't need a bad vibes story on the podcast, because the party was great. So that was the the, the, the fucking... Um, yeah, past the parcel. That really set the time... Like, as soon as we did that, and there was probably 30 people around the thing... And uh, everyone was loving it. Big laughs from everyone. And at the, the circle kind of took up our whole yard. And, uh, and then we put like tunes on and people started dancing. That was the first time people started dancing was after the Pass the Parcel. And everyone was just kind of in the party mood. More people had been showing up through that period. And then at about 9.30, so on Wednesday, this was the hero of my weekend. On Wednesday... I, at work, my last day of work, I met this dude and he's like 23 and uh, just good vibes, you know. We just had a great day at work together and we're, um, you know, I was digging his company and we were having a good laugh and we were working well and he told me he was a DJ and I've worked with a few DJs on the job but none that I was really like, oh, you know, I thought about asking them to play but I was like, nah, I don't know, I don't know you. But this guy was just like, I'm getting good vibes off this dude. So I was like, man, shot in the dark. What are you doing Saturday? Do you want to come and DJ at my party? And he was like, fuck yeah, I want to DJ at your party. And um, we were talking about it and, you know, he seemed keen, but I was like, you know, that maybe that'll happen or maybe he's just being polite. But we fucking, he came around on Saturday with the decks. We set him up and he came through with a big crew of mates. They got into the theme. The theme of everyone wears one color. The theme was everyone just picks one color and you wear one color. And um, he came in a yellow, like, full tracksuit. And then all of his mates were wearing red. So it was like, yeah, we're the boys and here's our guy. (laughs) And I had three DJs lined up to play, um, including him. But he jumped on first because the guy I was going to get to play first, you know, my mate wasn't there. So he jumped on first and he was crushing it. And he just played all night. I reckon he played from 10 until about 3. And at midnight, I was like, man, are you all good? Like, do you want someone else to jump on? And he just goes, man, I'm loving it. If, like, I'm playing until the police come or you tell me to stop. And, um, I mean, that, you know, it was incredible. The whole night, the dude was just magnanimous, um, which is a word that I think I know what it means. I always use the word magnanimous and I think about that, uh, the Shawshank Redemption when they fucking, when they tar and like they seal the roof on the jail and Andy Dufresne gets two beers a piece for each of his other inmates and they sit on the roof of the thing and they're drinking beers in the sun and, uh, and then Morgan Freeman goes, the, uh, the colossal prick even managed to sound magnanimous. What does magnanimous mean? Let's see. Okay, Google. Define magnanimous. 
Here's the definition of magnanimous. Generous or forgiving, especially towards a rival or less powerful person. That's not... Yep, she should be magnanimous in victory. Okay. So I think in that, I think Morgan, I've always wondered about that bit of narration. I think Morgan Freeman in that part is talking about the guard sounding magnanimous rather than Andy Dufresne. But in this context, generous, maybe I'm leaning more towards the generous part of the definition because like, I don't know, is the DJ more powerful than the rest of the party? <laughs> like the DJ is like the... If you're if you're the DJ and you deign to um to 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 walk among the regular folk, are you being magnanimous? That's an interesting I mean, let's think about the relationship between the performer and the audience. Is the audience the boss or is the performer the boss? Well the audience holds the fate of the performance in their hands based on whether they like it or not. But then the performer kind of dictates the direction of the performance. It's a symbiote. You know, actually, I was just listening to... Let me have another sip of tea here. On the flight on the way over to Sydney, I was listening to uh, Kamasi Washington. This, um, You know, I guess he's in the, in the interview, they called him a jazz icon. I don't know heaps of his stuff. He's a saxophonist. And uh, Truth by Kamasi Washington... If you if you want a track to kind of listen to, that's the one that got me in. He also does an amazing, amazing cover of um, Claire de Lune, the Debussy piano, you know, the famous one. Um, and he does like a jazz cover. Would you call it a cover or a, a, an interpretation of that? Um, but this interview with him, he was talking about how he was doing during the pandemic and uh, he said he really misses, like he, he uses music to connect to people, which I was like, yeah, man, that's what I use stand-up for. I, that's what I feel like I missed when I couldn't do stand-up was connecting to people. Um, but he went on to say that the people who he's connecting with, are like he was like, you know, I miss like jamming with people and feeding off of my other musicians in the band. And it made me realize like the way that he connects with people through music is not him and the audience. Although it might be, I'd, I'd be interested to ask, but it sounded like it was more him and his band and that's, they're connecting. They play music together and they feed off of each other's energy and in the pandemic, he couldn't do that. He was just playing there by himself. I guess the audience would give an, a, an amount of energy to the performance as well. But I think the difference kind of felt like with the, the audience in that situation is more so than an audience in stand-up. The audience watching the band connect with each other, they're just watching that and, and enjoying the spectacle. Whereas the audience in stand-up, my friend who I'm staying with says something interesting just now actually. He said every time he's gone to a stand-up show, he's always thinking, I hope they don't pick on me. And I, I always, I, uh, I don't, like I always try and I guess assure people that they're not going to be picked on. It's not in stand-up, it's not that you're going to be picked on, but maybe that's just like a, a, a the kind of incorrectly named feeling because what am I trying to say? It's like a misnomer or it's like, like you're not going to get picked on when you're in stand-up. But I think there's a reason why people go in with the feeling of, I hope I don't become the focus of attention in the room. And you go into a stand-up show with that feeling, but not a music show because when you're, in, you know, you're not going to get called on in a musical performance to just suddenly play some music as a member of the audience. That's not going to happen. But in stand-up, there is 
an understanding that you could be called on to contribute something to the show. And um, just that understanding, I think, shapes the dynamic of a stand-up room because then you're a bit nervous and then when the performer comes on stage, they have that nervous energy and they can reassure you or they can put you more on edge or whatever. And then if they reassure you, then you're grateful and there's just, it's almost like an emotional kind of exchange between the performer and the audience in a much more overt way that isn't necessarily there in a musical performance. And um, I don't know, I think that's really interesting. And maybe like with, with a DJ... Like, you know, I was even thinking about, like, because I'd said to the guy who was DJing, you know, like, man, thank you so much, like, whatever. And he kind of was magnanimous. He was like, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm just playing crowd pleasers. And um, I guess the function of a DJ in that scenario is, um, like, we could have maybe just had a playlist and, you know, I could have even just got him so that it was to the same taste. I could have got him to curate a playlist but with a playlist, I mean, even like there's also, there's obviously the, the, the chance that someone might come on and, and start changing the playlist and requesting songs. So the DJ kind of guards against that. But also, if people are enjoying it, if it's just a playlist and there's no person, you can't like look at the fucking iPod and go, yeah, sick. But if there's a person behind the decks, it just gives everyone a focal point to direct their energy towards. So if it's good, you look at them and you give it up to them and then they look back at you and they're smiling and it's like there's just somewhere for the energy to be directed. Um, Yeah. And they can respond in real time. You know, they can see what people are liking and what people aren't liking and, and make those decisions in real time in the way that you probably can with a playlist as well. But it helps just to have a setup and a place for them to be and people to direct energy towards that. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's definitely a worthwhile thing. I'm really glad that we had a DJ at the party. I think it made the party so much better than what it would have been if we were just playing tunes or not. I don't think people would have got up and danced as much. So, um, yeah, I'm going to send the guy. We, we, um, I think on Wednesday we connected over this one song called Strand Bar by Todd Terrier, this like Norwegian producer. Um, this I fucking love this song, man. One of my best moments ever in a club was at the old, where, what uh, the club's called Boney now in Melbourne, just on like, I think Little Collins, uh, but it used to be called Pony. And uh, when I used to work at Yaya's on Smith Street in 2012 and 13, Yaya's would close at five. Um, and Yaya's and Pony had the same owners and Pony would close at seven. So we would close Yaya's, have like a drink. And then at around six, me and some of the other guys who worked there would go to Pony and party for the last hour at Pony, get on the dance floor, have a few more drinks and, um, you know, just chase the night. Um, so that was the kind of venue that it was. And then one time me and some mates went there on a Saturday when it was just a club and there used to be these fucking mixtapes by this guy called The Magician. It was this DJ. Um, they were called The Magician's Magic Tapes. And they were like house and disco and kind of like that. The moment when there was like tropical house, you know. Todd Terrier was... Uh, they, they came out every month and he used to not release the track lists. And then there was like a bit of a rush. Um, this was like, yeah, from like around 2010, I reckon, 2009, 2010. 
um, every month and there was a rush from all these like blogs online that kind of followed that same music to try and publish the track list. So they would like try and figure out what the songs were before Shazam, any of that. Um, so the guy would put the put the playlist, or like yeah, just put the mix out and it was like 45, 50 minutes long and then all these blogs would publish the track lists and it was like a point of pride for like which blog could get it published first and find all the tracks. And um, I used to listen every month and they were all so fu- Every month, it was so good. I used to wait for it. I used to be so excited when it would come out and I would just find all of these new songs, all this new music and artists I'd never heard of. And um, I saw a blog years later refer to those tapes and the magician as being tastemaker for a generation was the phrase and that really resonated with me because that was kind of i always felt when i used to listen to those tapes like i wish i had someone else who was into that kind of music to share it with because i never really did it was always just something i listened to by myself and you know maybe if i was like seeing a girl i would like show her and she'd be like yeah cool but like no one ever really fucking got into it with me but every now and then i would meet someone traveling or whatever who was into it as well and they were like yeah man the magician's magic tape's so good and uh when that song strambar by todd turye came out me and my mates went to pony that weekend on like a saturday night just read it wasn't a club that we ever went to but i guess i'd i was the most clubbing kind of guy out of the three of us and um i think maybe we'd taken some pills so i was like fuck it let's go to this place i know they'll have music there and we were on the dance floor and the fucking DJ played Strambar and it's got this heavy piano drop. It's like a really chunky piano drop and the like the beat gets, like it builds up and builds up and then it gets stripped back and it's just a bass and this piano drop and it, oh my God, it's so good. And um, I remember the DJ dropped it there and I'd heard it on the Magic Tape that week and I was like, oh my God, man, yeah just fucking like that moment that was like about as good as clubbing ever got for me to be honest i was never the guy who knew all the songs that the dj was playing but that moment made me feel like i was current made me feel like i was up to date with the shit um so the the guy who i got to dj at my party me and him connected over that track and i told him that story and uh and then on saturday night when he was playing at like 2 a.m i was like oh fuck i i mean you know you shouldn't make requests but fuck you it's my party i was like man do you have strand bar by todd turia and he was like oh and looked for it but he didn't have it but um i think as a thank you my mate's girlfriend fiance actually um who is just like a very thoughtful person said to me at one point man it's so cool that he's played for this whole time he clearly wants to but like maybe you should just do something nice for him anyway just to say thanks and i was like yeah that's sick i will do that but then the next day after the party fuck I mean I slept for like two hours and then woke up and uh went with a mate out to um Warrandyte and like went swimming in the river which was oh my god amazing by the way hired a car and went out to Warrandyte the day after a party swam in the fucking cold river in the hills and then lay in the in the sun on the rocks for like a couple hours just being just zonking out beautiful but I didn't get the chance to see him when he came back and picked his shit up. So didn't get to give him anything. So I just got his address and I'm going to send him a vinyl of that track, Todd Turier, Strandbar. I'm going to get it delivered from overseas. Hopefully it gets there before Christmas. I probably won't. I'll pay for expedited shipping. We'll see. But anyway, that's what I want to do because I am trying to be magnanimous. 
I, uh, I I was on MDMA at the party, so that definitely like you know helped. But one of the things that I really loved about the party is like the act of throwing a party is uh, it's really you know you spend a lot of time planning it and you stress and you hope that it's good, and then once it's good, the stress ends, and um, the stress ends, and uh, it just goes back to like now everyone who's there is having such a good time and they like people kept coming up to me and they were really great they kept just going hey man thanks for having us at this party and um it was really cool because i got to have the opportunity just like time and time again to go thank you for coming to my party it felt really good to have people come up and go thanks for throwing this party and this this was this thing that i've been fucking stressing about that me and all my housemates have been stressing about and working towards for like the best part of a month and then to have it finally come together and have people really enjoy it and people stay for ages and then to be able to go thank you guys for coming it just felt really cool i don't know you know like it just it felt cool to be able to have like an opportunity for humility and to take it and to be on mdma and <laughs> probably felt good too <laughs> Yeah, maybe it felt good because you took a fucking cap, you loser. <laughs> it just felt really good to like give back. <laughs> yeah, and to be on drugs probably, you know, played a role. <sighs> All right. Anyway, man, I, I think that's the podcast for this week. The image for this week on the pod is going to be... Um... Oh, fuck off New South Wales app. The image for the pod is going to be me and my three housemates in our um, clothes for the party in front of the bar that we made that got a bit of fucking, a bit of work at the party as well. A few people using the bar, loved that. I just, man, it was the best. And and this weekend, like having spoken to my ex-girlfriend about that stuff and having kind of, put, I really feel like I've put that to bed and then to have the party that night to kind of just flush all of those feelings completely out of my system. And then also yesterday, like I've been freaking out about Perth and, and the Perth fringe and just not f- knowing whether I'm going to make it over there. And then yesterday, Perth um, and WA like confirmed they're opening their borders on the 5th of February, which is my birthday, um, but not before. And then they, they closed their borders to Queensland when Queensland opened theirs. And tomorrow, Tasmania is opening their borders and they'll probably close that one as well. So it looks like I'm just not going to be able to get to WA. And I spoke to my producer and he was like, man, let's just call it now and you can do the last week. And so I just, that's something that I've been worrying about as well. I have this fucking certainty now that I just haven't had about the next few months. And I've been thinking of this trip that I've just started today. I've been thinking that it was going to go until the start of March, but now... It doesn't have to. I'm going to be home. I'm probably going to be home for New Year's back in Melbourne. I'm only going to be gone for three weeks. It feels like I'm just such a relief, man. I felt like this trip was just been has been hanging over me. It's just not what I want. I don't want to be always leaving home. I want to have a base and I want to be going for short trips. And that Perth thing was just this fucking sword of Damocles hanging over my head and it's gone. And the pain from the breakup is is a good way towards going as well. And the party was great. And I love everyone. I feel really happy. So thank you to everyone who came to the party. Thanks to all of my friends uh, and my housemates. And if you're in Sydney, 
I've still sold zero tickets for my shows this week. I would love it if you'd come. If you want to come for free, I, w- I would happily have you in for free. I just want people at the shows watching me work out my new hour there on Thursday, Friday and Saturday this week, the 16th, 17th and 18th of December at the Factory Theatre. Message me on Instagram at Aiden Jones Comedy and I will give you free tickets. I don't care who you are. I don't care if I hate you. I don't care, you know, what you've done. I don't care about your past. All I care about is that you are at the Factory Theatre in the Matchbox watching my new show at 7pm on the 16th, 17th and or 18th of December 2021. That's the podcast for this week, you guys. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace.